Hello, welcome. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. We're going to start the show today with just a quick, tiny update about the whole FBI seizing Trump's passport thing. We talked about that on the show yesterday, but there's been some updates that are extremely relevant to what's going on in our country right now. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about testimony from FBI informants at the Governor Gretchen Whitner, Whitmer Fednapping retrial. Now, that is a mouthful of a sentence because we have a lot going on here. As you know, the FBI essentially entrapped citizens of the United States into plotting to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer, and the retrial is happening now. So we're going to talk about exactly what has been said on the stand at this trial. We're going to answer the question, ask the question first, but then answer the question, did the FBI stage this whole thing? How involved were they? We know that they were involved to the point that they were encouraging these ne'er-do-wells to take action against Governor Gretchen Whitmer, but did they actually plot and plan it all entirely themselves, the FBI? We are going to ask the question, did the FBI agent in Detroit, Michigan, where this happened, who oversaw this Fed-napping plot, did he also oversee the January 6th Fed-surrection? Are the similarities between the Fed-napping of Governor Gretchen Whitmer or the plot to do so and the Fed surrection on January 6th, are these similarities just too eerily similar to actually be a coincidence? We have a lot of questions today. We have a lot of information, a lot of answers, and a lot of interesting admissions from FBI informants on the stand at the Whitmer trial. So let's dig into it. So we're going to start today with a quick update on the Trump FBI passport thing, that debacle. But before we get to that, I want to talk to you about American Hartford Gold. Thank goodness for American Hartford Gold, by the way. If you're like me, you are growing more and more concerned about the future. Inflation is at its highest level in 40 years, which is means the highest level in my lifetime. Interest rates are skyrocketing. If you want to protect your future, then I recommend that you do what I did. Call the only precious metals, precious metal dealers that I trust, American Hartford Gold, They can show you how to protect your savings and retirement accounts by diversifying your portfolio with physical gold and silver. All it takes to get started is a short phone call, and they'll have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or inside your IRA or 401k, and they make it easy. They are the highest rated firm in the business with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied clients. And if you call them right now, they will give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first order. So don't wait. Call them now. Call 866-781-7499. The phone number is 866-781-7499. Or if you prefer text message, you can text Liz to 65532. Again, the phone number is 866-781-7499 or text Liz to 65532. So yesterday, we talked about the fact that the FBI had seized President Trump's passports, three passports, when they staged their raid at Mar-a-Lago. President Trump was the one who made this announcement on Truth Social. And last night, Nora O'Donnell from CBS tried to run interference on behalf of the Department of Justice. And isn't this just the playbook 
of the very corrupt intelligence community, Department of Justice, FBI. This is their playbook, is they refuse to say anything to us, the American people, for whom they are supposed to work, but they use the, the mainstream media as their puppets. They use the mainstream media as their mouthpieces only because the mainstream media is willing to do this. So Nora O'Donnell tweeted this. New, she said, according to a DOJ official, the FBI is not in possession of former President Trump's passports. Trump had accused the FBI of stealing his three passports during the search of his Mar-a-Lago home. This tweet obviously went viral. It was supposed to make it look like President Trump was lying, like he was making an allegation about the FBI stealing his passports that wasn't true. By the way, I don't know why he would make an allegation like that that wasn't true because it would be so easy to prove it to be untrue. But this, of course, never occurs to the hacks in the mainstream media who are happy to say whatever the Department of Justice wants to say. However, when I read this, my immediate thought was, oh, okay, so there's a phrase in here that gives away the whole game here. The FBI is not in possession of former President Trump's passports. Oh, okay, not in possession. Is that the same as when you're a kid and you say, oh no, mom, I can't see the mess that needs to be cleaned up. And the reason that you can't see the mess isn't because the mess doesn't exist. It's just because you conveniently closed your eyes to make that statement. This, by the way, is something that I did as a child (laughs) multiple times. That's exactly what the Department of Justice through Nora O'Donnell did in this statement. The FBI is not in possession. Okay, but that wasn't the allegation. The allegation was that they seized the passports. Did they? Are you denying that allegation? But this is what the radical left in the deep state does. They deny something that wasn't the allegation that was made. So fortunately, the Trump campaign keeps receipts. They kept an email that proved that President Trump's allegation was correct. And this is what the email said. It was from one Jay Bratt. It said, Evan, Jim, we have learned that the filter agents, those are the FBI agents, seized three passports belonging to President Trump, two expired and one being his active diplomatic passport. We are returning them and they will be ready for pickup at WFO at 2 p.m. today. I am traveling, but you can coordinate further with redacted name copied above. Thanks, Jay. So what does that tell us? (laughs) President Trump was not lying, but Nora O'Donnell was lying. But more more than lying, she was acting as a stooge The Department of Justice was trying to lie through her. And the fact of the matter is, we actually, you and I, we recognize this very easily now because this is such a recycled tactic. It's actually kind of disgusting how the FBI and the Department of Justice and the intelligence community manipulates language so often that we are able to nail them using a single phrase within like five minutes of them making a statement like this, not in possession. That's the first thing we do when we look at these tweets is we analyze for their rhetorical sleight of hands. And dang, are we good. We called this the second Nora O'Donnell sent this tweet out. But what a sad commentary on our government and on these government officials, the same government officials in the Department of Justice and the FBI that Merrick Garland said, quote, he will not stand by while the Department of Justice and the FBI's integrity is unfairly attacked. Okay. (laughs) These are the same people. Their integrity was unfairly attacked by us. Merrick Garland won't stand for that. And then two seconds later, they use the mainstream media as their stooges to try to lie to us because they think we're stupid. It's such a sad commentary on our government, but also we're so good at debunking their distortions and their lies that they don't get away with it. Here's what's going to happen. Merrick Garland refused to release the affidavit that was supposed to be attached to the warrant 
The affidavit is the person, the source. We talked about who the suspected bureaucrat behind the affidavit is. It was based on a Margot Cleveland article at The Federalist. Highly recommend the article. We also discussed it in depth on yesterday's show. So if you haven't watched that, go do so. It's episode 186. Garland refused to release the affidavit because, this is what the Department of Justice says, they refused to release it in order to, quote, protect the integrity of an ongoing law enforcement investigation that implicates national security. Disclosure at this juncture of the affidavit supporting probable cause would, by contrast to previously unsealed filings, cause significant and irreparable damage to this ongoing criminal investigation. Remember when they told us this was about the National Archives? No, no. No, no, it's not. It's not about the National Archives. The National Archives might also be a stooge in this plot. They might be using, the deep state might be using the National Archives as a way to charge Trump. But this is what's going to happen. The Department of Justice is going to indict Trump. They are going to charge him. They are going to try to arrest him. They are going to impanel a grand jury in Washington, D.C. Remember, Washington, D.C. is made up of 95% very partisan radical leftists who donated to Hillary Clinton. This neutral administrative state, remember, 95% for Hillary Clinton, but neutral, not, not politically biased here. Then they're going to have a DC jury that's picked from this jury pool of very radical leftists, and it's going to result in a conviction of President Trump. This is what the left is trying to do. There are some people on the right who don't believe the radical left will actually take it this far. Believe it. I believe it. They've told us what they're going to do. They've showed us the roadmap. This is what they're going to do. Here's the thing. You and I have recourse here. There's something that we can do before it gets to that point. We can, we can destroy this before it gets to the point where a DC grand jury is impaneled and then a, a jury is picked from this pool of very radical leftists. And remember what happened, by the way. We just saw a case study and what happens when a when someone from the deep state is tried in a DC in a DC jury with a DC jury from the DC jury pool in the Michael Sussman case. We saw that this this evidence against Michael Sussman was pretty cut and dry. It it wasn't that questionable. This should have been a very easy case, but there were radical leftists on his jury who sided with him. I mean, there was one juror on the Michael Sussman trial whose kid actually played soccer with Michael Sussman's kid. There were other jurors who donated to Hillary Clinton, who donated to AOC. These were very radical leftist people who claimed that they could be unbiased, but they were posting online that they weren't, they weren't unbiased at all. They were very, very partisan. We have a case study. We know exactly what's going to happen. Michael Sussman wasn't convicted of the crime that he committed. It was so obvious that he committed this. The reason he wasn't convicted was because this jury was made up of radical leftists. Well, we have to destroy this plot by the left before it gets to this point. We have to destroy it before it comes to fruition. And the way that we do that is we destroy it in the court of public opinion. We identify it and debunk it in order to nip it in the bud. Because the one thing that will stop the radical left from carrying through on a plot to charge Trump and indict Trump and arrest Trump and try Trump and convict Trump is if it is politically harmful to them. If they realize that doing so would use so much political capital that it would cause every voter in this country to vote against the Democrats. That's the only way that the Democrats don't do this. And so you and I, what we have to do is we have to follow along every lie, every tweet, every iteration of the narrative and do what we did with the Trump passport story. Look at that Nora O'Donnell tweet and identify that rhetorical sleight of hand. Look for that phraseology that tips us off to what they really mean. Be skeptical, be disbelieving. Refuse to, well, refuse to believe that what they say is true on its face. 
and force them to show their hands, force them to show their cards by showing our receipts. If we do this, if we identify it, we will be able to nip it in the bud. And the only thing, the only thing that will stop the left is if they lose in the court of public opinion. And we have the power to make that happen. So that's the update on the Trump passport thing that's really important. And now I want to turn to the Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping trial. By the way, if you haven't already subscribed to the show, please go over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, click that subscribe button. On YouTube, you can find me at Liz Wheeler Show. Likewise, hit the subscribe button. Also hit the bell so that you can be notified every time we have a new video for you. Okay, now I want to turn to the trial, the kidnapping trial for the plot to, well, kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. This is actually the retrial. This is our second wave of trials. The first wave of trials resulted in zero conviction. So now we're on the second wave. Before we get to that, I want to talk to you about ExpressVPN. I like ExpressVPN because it is very important to me to keep my information safe when I'm online researching this show and maybe looking up things related to my child or my family or whatever everyone does online. I don't want the government or private corporations creeping on me. A VPN can protect you from this violation of privacy. In fact, using the internet without ExpressVPN is kind of like going to the bathroom and not closing the door. You want to keep your business private. A VPN, how it works is it reroutes your internet activity so that your internet service provider cannot track your web browsing. They actually anonymize your identity so that you're completely undercover. ExpressVPN is also so easy to use. You just download the app on your phone or your computer. You tap one button and you're protected. ExpressVPN is also engineered. All their servers run only in RAM. All user data gets wiped on every reboot. It makes it impossible for their VPN service to keep logs of their users. They couldn't store your information even if they wanted to. So secure your online activity by visiting expressvpn.com slash Liz today. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Liz. And you can get an extra three months free if you use my URL, three months free, expressvpn.com slash Liz. Okay, so the retrial of the Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping plot. What is going on here? Let's zoom out for a second. So in 2020, Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, very radically left, was very, very strict about the lockdowns. She she was like on the level of Cuomo, on the level of Newsom, just a total COVID crazy, really infringing on the rights of her people and locking down businesses, locking down individuals, issuing unilateral, well, dictates. And it was truly awful. The people of her state did not appreciate it. This was the time where there was this political battle happening between red states and blue states, which was going to be the predominant policy as it pertains to COVID. Were we going to have more of a Florida policy? Were we going to have a more New York policy? Obviously, at this time, the radical left in in Congress, in the deep state, also in the public health sphere, really wanted to associate any of us, and this is you and me, guys, any of us who dissented from the Fauci version of public health, they wanted to paint us as crazy. They wanted to paint us as violent. They wanted to paint us as anti-science, as radical, as basically homicidal. If we didn't put on the mask, if we didn't get our four jabs, then we were killing granny. You remember all of that. So around this time, the FBI infiltrated uh, basically a group of 'er ne'er-do-wells. It was like a half a dozen dozen 'er ne'er-do-wells in Michigan who called themselves the Wolverine Watchmen. What does that mean? Who knows? And the FBI infiltrated this group because online they had been talking about what to do about Gretchen Whitmer and they had said some horrible things about her and they had talked about perhaps committing violence against her. Did they actually intend to commit that violence or was this just, forgive my French, bullshitting online? 
well, that's a pivotal part of this story here. The FBI infiltrated this group and encouraged this, this, this talk about possibly committing violence against Gretchen Whitmer, really encouraged it, really coordinated the plot that these people would later be charged for. And I'm talking about, when I say infiltrate, I'm not just talking about one informant in the midst of this group who is telling the FBI, hey, here's when this crime is going to be committed so that you can prevent it before it happens and you can arrest these people. No, I'm talking about the FBI informants became the leader of of this group. They paid for travel. They paid for training. The, The violence that was plotted but never carried out was actually the idea of the FBI informants. In fact, this plot would have never have existed without the FBI informants. So fast forward a little bit, these, these, these people that were part of this group were arrested and they were charged and they were tried. The four people who were tried, two of them were acquitted and the other two had hung juries, which means that there was a mistrial. So zero people charged by the government in the, the plot to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer were convicted. Zero. Zero commitments because because it was pretty obvious that the FBI committed entrapment. It was pretty obvious that the FBI actually staged this whole thing. So where are we today? You would think that that would be the end of it, that the prosecution would, you know, take the L and just, you know, hang their head in shame and go about their business. But no, no, no. This is too political for the left. The mainstream media and the Democrats really latched onto this, really latched onto this because they wanted to associate any kind of violence, any kind of weirdos with anti-lockdown sentiment. So they wanted to associate you, they wanted to associate me with some weirdo 'er ne'er-do-wells who were saying bad things about Gretchen Whitmer online. Obviously, it's an unfair comparison. You, You can't, if you're an honest person, conflate the two things, us and these people. But if you're an honest person, there's the caveat. We're talking about Democrats, we're talking about the mainstream media. So of course, the prosecution is going to or decided to prosecute these two people who had a hung jury. Again, that's where we are right now. Right now, we are watching the second wave of trial, the retrial of two of these defendants and the testimony that is coming to light at these trials. I don't know, my mind is blown. You'll have to see. You'll, I'll, I'll be interested to see what you think. By the way, if you haven't subscribed to this show, go over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and click subscribe on YouTube. You can find me at Liz Wheeler Show. Likewise, hit the subscribe button. Also on YouTube, hit the bell so that we can notify you every time we have new content for you. So we're watching the retrial of the two defendants with hung juries. And before we get to the testimony, because right right now, this week, the person that's on the stand testifying is one of the FBI informants. Extremely, um, extremely telling, let's just say. But before we get to that testimony, I want to talk about the FBI corruption, the breathtaking FBI corruption that underpins this whole plot. This wasn't just a conveniently timed situation that the mainstream media and the, and the left latched onto because it was conveniently timed politically. It, it wasn't something that they just exploited because it happened to coincide with their political narrative. No, this was corrupted at its very core from the very beginning. The lead investigator in the case was an FBI agent by the name of Richard Trask. He ran the whole thing for a time until he was fired. And the reason that he was fired is because he assaulted his wife. He beat his wife in a drunken rage after they came home from a swingers party. Yeah. This is who was running this whole operation. Now, that shows a lack of character. That shows criminality on her on his part. Beating your wife is obviously illegal. But politically, 
This guy was also extremely never Trump, extremely anti-Trump on social media. You would think an FBI agent would know better than to do something like this, but man, sometimes people are just stupider than you give them credit for. Trask actually posted on social media just hatred towards Trump while Trump was president, and that came to light. So he was removed from this case, yet he was the lead investigator that really propelled this into being. There were two other agents who were in charge of the primary informant, the primary informant, um, well, who coordinated the whole thing, and we'll get to him in a second, but the two agents who were in charge of managing the primary informant were also removed from the case for scandalous reasons. One of them, Jason Chambers, actually used his position as an FBI agent to advertise a business that he created doing the same thing that he's doing as an FBI agent, yet he advertised that he was an FBI agent. This is completely illegal. You are not allowed to do that as an FBI agent. So he was removed from the case. And then the second agent who was in charge of managing the primary informant, who we'll get to in a minute, he was accused of lying, actually criminal lying, committing perjury on another case. So as you can see, deeply corrupted background. One of these agents in charge of constructing this plot, tried to replicate this plot in a different state, actually tried to use this same tactic, the same playbook to plot against Democrat Governor Ralph Northam in Virginia. He actually tried to use a disabled Vietnam veteran, believe it or not, to kill Governor Northam. These were his words. The mission is to kill the governor specifically. This is the underpinning of this entire plot. Then, oh, we're not done. Then we have another, an FBI informant who worked on this case. So not an FBI agent. This is just someone being paid by the FBI to infiltrate this group. An FBI informant by the name of Steve Robeson, who was already a convicted felon. He got $20,000 to infiltrate this group and work on this this fednapping is what we're going to call it because it's not a real kidnapping because A, it didn't happen and B, it never was going to happen. The FBI invented this. It was a fednapping. He was paid $20,000 to be part of this until it was found out that he actually committed two other crimes while he was working for the FBI, while our taxpayer money was used to pay him $20,000 to be part of this. This isn't even as corrupt as it comes. The most corrupt of all the corruption that underpins this fednapping operation at the FBI targeted at Gretchen Whitmer was the special agent in charge of the case. Now, I like Beam Organics because finally, a sleep product that is natural and effective. Win-win. Not easy to find in this industry. We all know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity. A better tomorrow starts tonight. Let me introduce you to Beam Dream. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products for, for everything from sleep to recovery. And today you get a special discount available for Beam's sleep product. It's called Dream Powder. It's their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. It contains natural sleep-promoting premium ingredients. It's triple lab tested, no THC, and you wake up refreshed. In fact, 98% of people fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream, and 99% of people experience better sleep quality. You just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, stir it, and enjoy it 30 minutes before bedtime. If you don't like it, 
that you can get your money back guaranteed. For a limited time, you can get $20 off when you use my URL. It's beamorganics.com slash Liz and use promo code Liz at checkout. It's spelled B-E-A-M organics.com slash Liz and use promo code Liz for $20 off at checkout. Okay. So the prize for the most corrupt FBI agent out of all the corrupt FBI agents associated with this fednapping of Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Drum roll, please. This goes to, this award goes to the special agent in charge of the case. His name is Stephen D'Antuano. Who is Stephen D'Antuano? Stephen D'Antuano was the agent in charge of the Detroit field office, which means he was everyone's boss. The buck stops with him. He has his finger in everything because he is in charge of every operation in that region. Now, Stephen D'Antuano... You can see him on the screen right here. You will see what this headline says. Stephen D'Antuano was Detroit's top FBI agent, but he was promoted to head the DC field office. Now, this is a real head scratcher to me because I can think of only a handful, and I say this laughingly because the FBI is so corrupt, I can think of only a handful of operations run by the FBI that has brought more shame and embarrassment to the FBI than this botched fednapping of Governor Gretchen Whitmer. And of course, the examples that I'm thinking of that are more embarrassing and more destructive to the reputation and the integrity of the FBI are the raid on Mar-a-Lago and that the FBI staged and the Russia collusion hoax that the FBI staged and the way that they went after General Michael Flynn. And that's just within the last five years. However, this just about takes the case for one of the worst. And you would think that the man who was in charge of it would be fired. You'd think that this guy would be demoted. At the, and that's like at the least. I mean, if you worked in the private sector and you botched something up like this, you get kicked out of the company. But no, at the FBI, you get promoted. Promoted from the, D, the, the Detroit field office, the head of that office, to D.C., the head of the D.C. field office is one of the most prestigious positions in the field at the FBI. This is a humongous promotion. He was promoted after we knew that he had botched up the Gretchen Whitmer case. And coincidentally, look at the date on that article that I showed. What does it say? It says October 13th of 2020. Okay, so Dan Tuano moved from Michigan to Washington, D.C., three months before January 6th. Is there a connection? Well, I'll let you decide. You'll remember that on January 6th, when those protesters breached the barriers that had already been moved outside of the Capitol and entered the Capitol, the Capitol Police actually opened the doors for them. Now, this was very strange. We all thought, oh, the mainstream media reported that these people broke in. But if you watch the video, you'll see police officers actually opening the door for the protesters. Now, in 2020, you'll also remember at the Michigan State Capitol, there were armed protesters that breached the Capitol. Now, this was the same sort of operation, propaganda operation that the mainstream media and the Democrats tried to use that for they tried to associate anybody who was against vaccine mandates or mask mandates or lockdowns. They tried to associate us with armed protesters who breached the Michigan State Capitol. But what's interesting is video from the Michigan State Capitol when this was happening shows 
the police officers who were protecting the Michigan State Capitol doing the same thing as the Capitol Police, opening the doors for the protesters. In fact, the FBI told them to. The FBI directed the police officers to open the door for the armed protesters. That's a pretty strange coincidence that that would happen in Michigan when Stephen D'Antuano was in charge of the Detroit field office, and then it would happen again at the Capitol when the Capitol Police opened the doors when Stephen D'Antuano was then head of the D.C. field office. This seems like more than a coincidence. It seems like a modus operandi. It seems like a deliberate strategy that was used twice. What would be interesting to know is who exactly made the call in Michigan on that day? Who gave the direction to the police officers to open the doors for the armed protesters? And on January 6th, likewise, who exactly gave the order for the Capitol Police to open the doors for the protesters? The answer to that question will tell us even more than what we're being told in testimony on the stand right now at the retrial of some of these defendants. So let's move to some of these, some of these defend, or let's move to the testimony of the main informant, the main FBI informant in this fednapping plot. The main informant is called Big Dan. I don't know who named him that. I don't know why that's his name, but that's his name. That's what we're going to call him. Big Dan was paid $60,000 over the course of seven months to work for the FBI to infiltrate this group. By the way, that's like $100,000 a year. That's the, that's the salary rate. This guy actually quit his other job to work just for the FBI to infiltrate this group. The reason that he became an FBI informant or that the FBI hired him is because he called a friend of his who was a police officer and told his friend about online chat groups where the Wolverine Watchmen, this, this group of ne'er-do-wells, they called themselves a Second Amendment support group as well, where they were talking about committing violence against Gretchen Whitmer. So Big Dan called a cop, friend of his, and told him about this. And the FBI then started paying him to continue spying on this group and to actually infiltrate the group. That was in March of 2020. At that point, there was no discernible plot or plan to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer. That came later after Big Dan was involved, after he suggested it. So Big Dan's primary job that the FBI was paying him to do was to target another man, a member of this ne'er-do-well group. And this man's name was Adam Fox. And the, the primary thing that Big Dan did was record all phone conversations and in-person conversations, record those, and then give those recordings to the FBI to listen to. Big Dan also participated in chat rooms with these people and then gave the FBI access to Snoop in those chat rooms. Those were the two main things that, that he was tasked to do. Now, what's interesting about the recordings is that oftentimes in these recordings, the targets, Big Dan's targets, so the members of this group were actually drunk or high. They were doing drugs. And the FBI informants actually joined them in doing drugs and getting high. That's illegal. That's completely against the law. 
But that's what these FBI informants. So what Big Dan also did is he offered $5,000 credit cards to this group, to the members of this group, and told them to use this money to buy weapons, to buy ammo, to buy hotel rooms. These informants, Adam Fox specifically, never took any of that money, despite the fact that Adam Fox was living in what can only be described as squalor. He was living in a basement accommodation without any running water. He didn't take any of this money, even though Big Dan tried to give him money in order to commit a crime. And most of the conversations uh, between this group were actually facilitated or initiated by Big Dan. So here's where you start to see that this wasn't just the infiltration of an informant who said, hey, I'm hanging out with these guys and they're plotting something and I want you to be aware of it. I want the FBI to be aware of it so you can stop it before it happens. No, now we see this deliberate attempt to actually create something, a crime out of nothing. So now we're at the trial and Big Dan is actually testifying on the stand at the trial. And he's testifying that the ideas to commit violence and what kind of violence would be committed were actually his ideas. He said at a meeting in July of 2020, Big Dan, and this conversation, by the way, the FBI, his handlers were listening into this conversation. He suggested that this group of ne'er-do-wells actually fire rounds into the governor's mansion. Big Dan said that was his idea. It was his idea to fire rounds into Whitmer's cottage. And then afterward claim that, oh, maybe it was just a hunting accident. Fast forward to a month later, Big Dan said in an August meeting, this is in 2020, August of 2020, again with FBI agents listening in to these meetings, Big Dan suggested to this group that they blow up Governor Gretchen Whitmer's cottage, or that they actually ambush her when she's on her way to this cottage. This isn't something he overheard and then reported to the FBI. This was an FBI informant's idea, planting the ideas for this violence to a group of people who had otherwise no intention of actually carrying this out. Big Dan testified it was also his idea to conduct surveillance of the cottage. It was his idea how that they could blow up a bridge that led to the cottage. And Big Dan said it was his idea. So the way that these, these ne'er-do-wells actually got arrested is Big Dan said that he suggested that they go and buy equipment to build a bomb from a man who turned out to be an, an undercover FBI agent. He took them to buy this equipment to make the bomb. It was just a ruse. It was fake and they got arrested. The FBI was waiting there for them. There was like rescue teams and snipers and all kinds of crazy stuff. And that's where they got arrested. And all of that was Big Dan's idea. On the stand, on the stand, the defense asked, did anyone try to give Red, who was the undercover FBI agent who was supposed to be selling them the bomb making equipment, did anyone try to give Red money for that bomb? And Big Dan said, no. So do you know what this means? This means that even though the FBI had told this now employee of the FBI, Big Dan, to suggest violence to be committed and gave this FBI informant the means, the money and the know-how to give this group the capacity to commit this violence, they still didn't do it. They refused to do it. On the stand, Big Dan said, and remember, he this, this, this whole thing had started in March of 2020. That's when he told his police friend that there was an online group that was chattering about violence against Whitmer and the FBI then hired him to infiltrate this group. That was March of 2020. By August of 2020, 
Big Dan testified that there was not actually a plan to kidnap Whitmer. That's five months. The defense said there was no plan to kidnap the governor, and Big Dan replied, no. I hear this. I read this. And I'm just, this is so corrupt. The FBI is so corrupt. There was additional testimony from the trial this week. The FBI agent that was handling one of the other FBI informants, because Big Dan was not the only FBI informant. There were a bunch of them. He was just the one that testified this week. But one of the FBI agents that was handling another informant said that a female FBI informant slept in the same bed in a hotel with the informant's target. Is this not a honeypot operation? Is that even legal? It's certainly unethical, regardless of whether it's legal or not. The, the illegal thing that I'm sure is illegal is smoking pot and getting high. The FBI informants smoking pot and getting high with their targets, that is definitely illegal. The FBI, in the wake of the Trump Mar-a-Lago raid, the mainstream media and the left and, you know, the intelligence community, the Department of Justice and the FBI threw their, their mouthpieces in the mainstream media. They keep telling us, oh, you shouldn't worry about the FBI going unsupervised into Mar-a-Lago, kicking Trump's attorney down to the end of the driveway and ruffling, rifling through all of Trump's documents by themselves. They're not going to plant evidence, they told us. Don't, the FBI doesn't do that. Don't they? The defense attorney at the Gretchen Whitmer trial said, quote, the Facebook page that all of this was going through was created by the government. We put in a record today that showed that Stephen Robinson, the FBI informant who committed the other crimes, he was paid $20,000 by the FBI, but committed other crimes while he was working for them, created the event in Wisconsin that you're going to hear a lot about. That's planting evidence. This is the same people at the FBI. This is not just a couple of politically corrupted appointees in the upper echelons of the FBI who are corrupting just the DC field office or their, their behavior towards President Trump when he's in office. No. This corruption is deep. The FBI is rotten. They're a rotten, stinking organization. By the way, we still don't know who Ray Epps is or what he did or who he worked for. But Ray Epps seems a lot like the same type as Big Dan. What, what we're sure about here is that the FBI committed entrapment. What we're sure about is that Stephen D'Antuano the former head of the Detroit field office, who is now the DC, the head of the DC field office, he's had his finger in actually not just two, not just the Whitmer Fed napping and the January 6th Fed surrection, but he's actually has his finger in the Mar-a-Lago raid as well. Because you'll remember that that didn't happen from the Florida field office. It was the DC FBI field office that sent agents down to operate out of the Florida field office. So Stephen D'Antuano has his fingers in the Whitmer stuff, in the January 6th stuff, in the Mar-a-Lago stuff. And they all kind of overlap and using the same tactics and the same playbook and the same people opening doors in Michigan Capitol, the police opening doors there, the police opening doors in the Capitol on January 6th. 
The purpose of all of this is very clear. The purpose of all of this is to criminalize our dissent. Whether it was dissent of COVID policies and lockdowns that were unconstitutional, whether it's dissent of radical leftist ideology, dissent against Hillary Clinton in 2016, whether it's dissent against, well, anything other than Trump, right? If it's dissent against Joe Biden now, the purpose is to stop us from being able to voice dissent against our government. This is the United States. Who would have thought that this is where we'd be now? This is why it's so important to understand the political enemy that we are fighting. If we do not understand the political enemy, then we will underestimate them because human nature is inherently good. If we underestimate them, then they will get away with stuff like this. And when they get away with stuff like this, they'll be emboldened and they'll use the same playbook. They'll use the same tactics. They'll even use the same people to perpetuate these hoaxes against us, the people, again and again and again. Not cool. Okay, a lot of people, I've gotten a ton of messages about this, actually. A lot of you guys have asked me about the polio virus that's been found in the way, in two wastewater plants in two counties in New York City. So over on Locals, we are going to talk about that. You can go to lizwheelershow.com slash locals. If you use my promo code, which is access, you can watch for free for a month of your annual subscription. We're going to discuss, is this something we should fear? What does it mean? Is this the public health establishment trying to make us feel afraid in order to make us capitulate to what they want? Or is this an actual public health threat? Is this something that we should be genuinely concerned about? So we're going to talk about that, the polio virus in the wastewater in New York. LizWheelerShow.com slash locals. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. 